episode of Noon, I'm excited to introduce you to Anna, an extraordinary individual whose journey has taken intriguing twists. Anna's career began with a leap of faith as she entered the world of nursing with no previous experience and quickly fell in love with it. Her passion for nursing, particularly in the emergency department, has defined her professional path. But that's not all. In a recent exciting development, Anna has ventured into the world of entrepreneurship. She's opened the very first Jamba Juice franchise in Albuquerque. Join us for a captivating conversation as Anna shares her experiences and the profound shift from nursing to entrepreneurship. This episode promises to provide insights into the world of healthcare and the challenges and triumphs of business ownership. Let's get started. All right, Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the new podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm super honored that you're on with us today. I uh, worked with you for a little bit not too long ago, and you're an amazing nurse. I had so much fun hanging out with you in the ER. I'd love to introduce you to the fans here. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for having me. I'm just honestly very honored to be here, and uh, yeah, I'm excited for this episode. Awesome. How about uh, you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, So my name is Anna. I've been a nurse for nine years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, Growing up, I like I never had any aspirations to be a nurse. All I knew was that I wanted to get out of New Mexico after high school and I wanted to play basketball. Those were my two main goals. And so life took me to Arkansas. I got my undergrad degree there. I had the time of my life played some ball, made some really good friends, Um, but then got done with my bachelor's and really didn't know what to do. Had the opportunity to go to nursing school basically for free, and so I jumped on that um, and kind of got into the profession, honestly, just because nursing is, is a good career. I didn't have, like, the passion at the time. Um, but started working and figured out early on that it was something that I really loved. And I started out doing um, some step-down nursing, some longer-term care. And then in year three, I transitioned to the ER. My first job was actually at St. Joe's in Denver. Um, Did that for a little while and then came back to Albuquerque and worked for the last six years there. Uh, I say that I'm kind of in retirement right now only because um, I have an 11th month old son. And so I've been staying home with him and pursuing some other jobs right now. So nursing's just on hold temporarily, but uh, definitely had a had a few really good years. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And do you mind if I ask how you got the opportunity to have nursing for free? You said you got into nursing school, it was kind of for free? Yeah, yeah. So my dad is actually, um, he was a director of a, a nursing program at the time. So um, it was very, very convenient. That is convenient. <laughs> yeah. And when you you got into nursing school, right, because it sounds like you had had no, like, patient contact or anything prior to that. How did you feel about coming in and touching strangers and doing, you know, some of these pr- procedures that we do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I kind of, during nursing school, I thought I was going to struggle with it. But as soon as I got in the clinicals, man, I was, like, the most gung-ho. I was, like, 
if you got a dig stim, I'll do it. Like whatever. Like I was just, I wanted to do it all, man. I was, I was just so happy to like be there and be with the patients. And that part didn't bother me at all, to be honest. No, I mean, sometimes some of the stuff we do still kind of bothers me. And maybe it's just the situations and the, <laughs> it depends oh, on no if the doubt. patient's no bathed doubt. or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the foleys that we've done are really gross. Yes, for sure. There's still, I mean, obviously there's still things that are, that will get to me. But I guess doing that transition was a lot better than I initially thought it was going to be. It's not for some people. I mean, how many people go through med school and then come out and decide that they don't want to do that because of the stuff that we see and do and smell and Oh, for sure. You know? The amount of people who have gone through nursing school and then realized that's not really what they wanted to do. I, I definitely know a handful of people like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you weren't one of those people and you were able to stick with it and actually enjoyed it. it sounds like you enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is when I first started my nursing career, um, you know, I was always looking at how can I be better? Oh, I just want more experience. I want to be that seasoned nurse and just really never thought I was good enough. But looking back on it now, like some of those first years were I was the best nurse at that time because I wasn't burnt out. I, you know, just had so much passion for what I was doing and I was really giving giving myself to the patients more so than I think I had been in the last couple of years um, after the burn, burnout kind of set in a little bit. And how, how many years do you think it took you to hit that burnout phase? That's a really good question. Um, I would say probably year, probably year six or seven. I definitely became hardened. And I don't know if that was a combination of you know, just the number of years worked or the place I was working or the management or, or maybe a combination of everything and things happening in my personal life in the world. Um, I can't really pinpoint exactly kind of what started that, but I'd say it's around, yeah, year six or seven. So I know you say you can't pinpoint like what may have caused that burnout, but what made you realize that you were burned out? Uh, I like that question. Um, I think I had somewhat of a a realization of that like while I was actually working but to me actually when I was in the hospital giving birth to my son and I had the most angelic nurse as my LND nurse and she was uh -huh. so tentative so caring so good at her job and I realized at that moment I was like wow I've been so burnt out and I didn't even really realize the extent until I had that like amazing experience with that nurse and it kind of changed everything for me because I realized that I, I needed to get in a better headspace or maybe even transition to a different part of nursing like when I decide to go back. Um, because I, I don't want to be that crusty nurse, you know? I, I want to yeah. treat people the way that I was treated in L&D and I will forever remember her because um, she really kind of put the light bulb on in my head of, needing to needing to get in a better headspace that's it's really funny that you talk about that because me and my partner um transported a patient to one of the lnd units not that long ago and both of our experiences have been very similar where a lot of the lnd nurses are just like loving life right they love what they do they love yeah. where they're at they love everything and in this one like this one transport the main nurse that came in for the patient that we were bringing in was just so like 
I don't I wouldn't say it was crusty, but she definitely wasn't happy. And yeah. <laughs> we talked about it afterwards. My partner and I were like, what is going on? Like this must have been an off day for that nurse because it's not our typical experience when we're up there. So it's really funny that you brought it up. I think that some nursing yeah, I think that some nursing in a you know, coming from a paramedic's perspective, and I won't lie, watching some Gray's anatomy has <laughs> has kind of thrown out that some nursing experiences are better, right? Like like I feel like there's high competition for positions like L and D and then maybe some of some more of the more relaxed positions. Um I'm brain farting right now what the other one I'm thinking of is where they like a dermatology clinic, you know, I like feel aesthetics like that would or be, something. Yeah. Like super just relaxed. Is that anything that you have any interest in going towards once you're done with your mini retirement? <laughs> My sabbatical as you will. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, you can understand this. I think there's a part of me that will always kind of want that, chaos to a certain extent and um you know i think l and d can have a little bit of chaos in there as well i don't know if i'll go in that direction either but i can't see myself doing anything i would i don't even want to say boring but more relaxed i i just think that i i it just wouldn't be for me long term um i think that the er will call me back eventually and i'll i will take that call gladly and you, you mean not the managers calling you, begging you to come back, but you, as you're calling in the ER. <laughs> yes, and all all my wonderful coworkers out there, man, that's that's honestly what makes the job like so awesome. Shout out to all those ER nurses out there. No, for sure, the ER the trauma, all those first first response nurses that show up, you know, when everybody else is running away. It does take a special personality. For sure. I always, I always tell people too, it's like, what I love about the ER is also interacting with EMS. I, I love that part of it. I love getting to know everyone, you know, just like always that transition from receiving a patient to getting them comfortable in our ERs. Um, you know, I think that was probably my favorite part of, of being in the ER, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of moving parts, right? It's very dynamic. So you are seeing a lot of those. You're seeing the first responders, and then you're seeing a lot of people um, that are transporting the patients from maybe the ER to go upstairs, or you're seeing, um, you know, all the lab people, all the x-ray technicians, all the CT technicians, all of the, you know, all of the different doctors that are coming down maybe neuro or you know it is a very dynamic place in the er to see everybody absolutely yeah i think it's a lot of fun so we talked a little bit about how you're on a sabbatical <laughs> so did that start <laughs> did that start with the birth of your baby so it's kind of interesting i while i was working i also was getting my master's degree and i actually have my master's in acupuncture and uh, Chinese herbal medicine. And so kind of while I was working, I, you know, I've had this other career path in mind. And part of what I'm doing right now, too, is studying for boards. So, you know, one of my goals as well is to get certified and um, kind of pursue that goal as well within medicine, just definitely a different aspect of it. So, um, you know, that's kind of an end goal for me. But uh, I, I think 
basically when I was pregnant, I stopped at 38 weeks. And then, you know, I, I envisioned myself after the three months uh, going back to the ER, but it was kind of a game time decision where we just realized it would be best for me to, to stay and to, to keep studying for boards. And then most importantly, just to um, give Theo just, you know, that nurturing and care um, that's so important during that the first year, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that is really important. And I feel like that is a strong movement that's happening everywhere. You know, I think that a lot of people are moving towards that. And I think that as odd as it sounds, I think that COVID helped people realize that they can enjoy their time off a little more, you know, than, than they were before and that we aren't machines and we're, we should be taking more time off to enjoy our ourselves and our family and our home lives. That's so true. And, and honestly, COVID kind of forced me to be more comfortable at home. I think for a long time, I just tried to stay as busy as possible and didn't really enjoy being at home. And, and that whole situation kind of forced me to, to be, to be okay with being at home. And now having Theo, you know, he's really made, made being at home a lot better of a place for sure. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And while you've been home, you've also started another new venture and opened a small business. What business was that? So uh, my husband and I opened uh, the first ever Jamba Juice in New Mexico. Um, it's a franchise, but uh, it is locally owned and operated. And actually our location is family operated. Um, and we sell smoothies, bowls, baked goods. You know, we have a lot of products that are very healthy, and then we have more dessert smoothies as well. So definitely have a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, I went I went uh, last week, and we grabbed a couple of smoothies just to check it out because I had never been to a Jamba Juice before, and it was really, really good. And I was very impressed with the customer service that day. That's awesome. Uh, it sounds like you've got a, a strong team together right now, which is really, really good. Do you want to share, you have a coupon code out there, right? For your EMS family, is that correct? Yeah, so we offer um, 20% perpetually for first responders. Um, So that includes EMS, fire, police, military, um, active military and veterans. And then we also offer 20% for nurses as well. So we really just, you know, we wanted the business to be kind of oriented to the community and with my background in healthcare, um, we just thought it was really important to, um, recognize those, you know, the folks out there serving. So, um, yeah, uh, basically when you go into the store, uh, if you have a badge or in uniform, then we'll gladly give you 20% off. That's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. You know, that's a huge, it's a huge benefit to those that are, especially if you're out on the, you know, in the ambulance and working so you can swing by and hopefully grab something in between calls. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to see you. Honestly, I, I miss seeing, I miss seeing that whole community. So we would love, love for everyone to come by. Heck yeah. So what, what, uh, what made you decide to open a Jamba Juice specifically? So my husband, I mean, I give my husband the credit for this. He's, he's very um, entrepreneurial mind, mindset and uh, he really kind of just wants to escape the, the nine to five grind. He's a mechanical engineer and 
he ends up doing most of his work uh, on the computer and he's very active and you know just just wanted a business where he can be the boss essentially but basically what inspired this whole thing was we were traveling and um we had jamba and i think it was the vegas airport and i was like this is absolutely delicious like why don't we have one of these in albuquerque and you know we kind of just looked at the products available here and there's just in my opinion nothing nothing that is was as good as jamba and i feel like we just have a great market for it and so you know, I was trying the product that, that opened our eyes to it. And then we started looking into um, the specifics of it and running a business and the franchise fees and everything that goes into it. And it kind of just, you know, it evolved from there. Um, and it's been a process. We were actually supposed to open a year ago, but um, based a lot of delays in city permits and, and, and construction, we did the build out completely from scratch. So that took a lot longer than we thought and um, was a huge bummer, but we're just so happy to, to finally be open now. And we actually, we have plans on um, opening three stores here within a three year time period. So that that's our first store at the Winrock Center. And then we're gonna have two others here shortly as well, uh, hopefully covering a, you know, a bigger demographic. Wow, that's impressive and a lot of work. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's been yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I can't believe you're planning on opening two more stores in two within two more years. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, and I think honestly though, I think we've gotten the hard part out of the way because we've done the first one and now we know what not to do, you know, you know, what's been successful and and what hasn't been and we have a really solid contractor now. So um we're hoping the other ones go you know, on, on the right time frame and, and a little bit smoother than the first one. Sure. And where is the first one located at? So it's uh, in the Winrock Town Center. Um, it's in between Burger 21 and Firehouse Sub. They're totally revamping that whole area. Winrock is going to be a really cool place to be. Hopefully they'll be done with all that construction within the next two years. Yeah, that'll be cool. There, I know they are doing a lot of construction over in that area, but I think you've nestled yourself into a, a good little space, and hopefully that business will be good for you here in the next few years and and be fruitful for you. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So in your nine years of nursing, which is quite a long time, by the way, not and maybe not as long as other people, but still pretty like pretty solid for somebody who's never had any experience um at all prior to that schooling <laughs> what uh what would you say had been maybe one of your craziest patients or craziest events that you'd had in your time yeah that's a great question so basically the last place that i worked at um we had a, a fairly larger er and then we had a sister er that's much smaller it's only an eight bed er and is typically staffed just one doctor and two nurses and that that er can be very slow we can you know sometimes only have one or two patients but then sometimes we end up in situations where we have hall beds and it can get very chaotic there so there was one time where we were very busy and we had very critical patients and i was actually giving tpa to a stroke patient and that's always you know a one-on-one -on -one. but we had a patient at the same time walk in 
And uh, my coworker at the time, the other nurse I was working with, great guy, um, he was walking him down the hall and all of a sudden he just collapsed basically in my coworker's arms. And so of course he yelled for help. Um, we got him on a gurney, felt pulses, he no pulses. Um, we got him to a room as quickly as we could and started CPR right away, of course. And pulled the code button, you know, but there for a couple, I mean, it felt like minutes. For a good amount of time, it was just the ER doctor, myself, my coworker coding this patient. Um, and the ER doctor made a call very early on to, it, it was a shockable rhythm. So we, we shocked the patient and then he made the call of, you know, delivering more electricity very soon afterward. And actually that second shock, you know, the patient, we revived him essentially. And within probably five or six minutes after that, the patient actually became lucid again um, and was conversational. And, you know, that to me was incredible to see because most of the time when someone codes, you know, we ship them off to ICU and you may hear about how they're doing from someone else, but very rarely do you ever really interact with them again. And you know, a lot of times they don't, they don't make it or they're brain dead essentially. Right. Because a lot of the time when you're getting them, they're already coding from the field, right? You don't exactly. actually witness the codes very often, which is pretty cool. And it, it was really cool to see how early intervent, how powerful early intervention is, you know, cause we started CPR immediately. We shocked immediately and it was very, very successful. Yeah, and you said that he had shocked twice. It sounds like very close. Was it like stack shocking or was it like one minute in between-ish? It, it was, yeah, it was probably about 30 seconds to a minute in between. Uh, made the call just to go ahead and, and, you know, deliver more before the next pulse check. So, Yeah, sometimes, sometimes that's what the heart needs, right? Get it started over. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So there's that, that ER... Is, is the wild wild west and I, I feel like there's been multiple stories like that and a lot of a lot of action right because a lot of the time that ER doesn't even have a tech right so it literally is just you another nurse and a doctor yeah I, I mean as far as I know at least when I was working there it's been about a year now um, we were never staffed with a tech it was only ner two nurses and a doctor and of course, a lot of times if they, if we had staffing available and it got busy, they would send help over, but it was all, it's always very situational. Right. And the, <laughs> when you say that the help was getting sent over, it's because the hospital was a block away from the other ER. So you actually had to have people either riding in the security truck or running over from the other ER <laughs> to help you. Running or scooters i mean they used to have scooters down there and then they took those away those were pretty clutch but <laughs> i didn't know they ever had scooters that's hilarious <laughs> you never participated in the in the albuquerque scooters man that was a that was no. like the best part of work there for a while <laughs> just scooting back and forth in between <laughs> oh yeah oh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I wasn't there when they had scooters. They would, they either had security give you a ride or your ass was running across the street to the other. <laughs> I mean, if, if I knew a job was offering scooter breaks, I, I mean, I would definitely be more interested. <laughs> that would be a plus. <laughs> oh, 100%. I'll take that. Hey, do you have scooters? I'll take it. 
<laughs> that's fantastic dude that's so funny oh man it was like a wild west out there though for real you know i've had i've had people describe you know our trauma hospital as as being like walmart right like for the most part, things are very efficient. There's more staff, like you have more, you know, availability in general. And then they described my hospital I worked at as more of like a mom and pop. And I, I kind of like that analogy. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a great, that is a great description for that ER. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have any other like super crazy calls out of there or uh, patients? yeah there's another one that comes to mind as well it was uh it was end of shift i think we were actually in the middle of of shift change and um that hospital has like you know day patient um nurses and one of them kind of just came in and you know came over to us just strutted over and was like there's a patient that's uh unresponsive in the car in the parking lot and I was like, okay, well, does he have a pulse? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> and so I sprinted out there and it was the passenger seat. Uh, and this patient definitely was passed out pretty soon, realized he did not have pulses. Uh, so we pulled him out of the car and and uh, luckily someone was behind me with a gurney. So we, we flopped him onto the, onto the gurney I started compressions, but I was I was running kind of like next to the gurney, and of course I tripped because I'm just a big klutz. <laughs> and so I had my Grey's Anatomy moment where I just was like, okay, I'm just we're going full rodeo here. I'm just gonna I hopped hopped on the patient, straddled them, started my compressions that way, and uh, they rolled us, you know, into the entry of the ER. And the most hilarious part was my. Um, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was there to pick me up, and uh, he was just—he was in the lobby, so he was witness to all this happening, and he basically, you know, just saw me straddling the patient, <laughs> passing right by him. Um, so, you know, we got that patient as stable as we could, and then, I, you know, I was able to go home after that. But that was a kind of a hilarious moment. Yeah, what did he say about it? I think he was he was basically in shock and then also told me he's like well I'm probably going to be here for a while now waiting for you <laughs> so he was like he just knew there was going to be a huge delay in you getting to go home yeah yeah essentially <laughs> but I think it was That's... good it gave, gives him a little bit more perspective on you know obviously most days are not like that but um, gives him a little more perspective on what exactly we do and um, over the years, like having a partner that is not in healthcare, and you come home and you tell the stories to, and, you know, soon they start to recognize a lot of the lingo that we use, and it's it's kind of impressive to see the evolution of what they understand as well. Yeah, no, it really is impressive. I've been with my wife for we're going on twenty years now, and she's that's amazing. She still she'll crack up at some of the stuff that I say, but. <laughs> for the most part she understands what I'm saying when I'm saying it and if I have to stay late she's like it must be a critical patient yep it is a critical patient <laughs> I love that love that yeah I mean you have to have it it's so nice like even if they don't completely understand just like having that support you know yeah 
No, it is. It's nice. And I've, I've talked about it a little bit. I, and it's nice that you have that same experience too. It's nice having a partner who's not in the medical field, right? Because when you get home, you don't necessarily want to talk about it anymore. You just want to be at home and relax in a regular environment where there's no beeping and there's nobody talking yes. medical jargon, you know? Yeah, for sure. What does he think about, or what did he think about the schedule for when you're in the ER? Um, you know, he, he was fine with it. He's like, Chris is like the most chill, like kind of laid back, like very understanding person. So, um, I've just felt really blessed to have someone like that who is just very go with the flow, you know? That's awesome. It's super nice to, I think for me, having, having my wife, Sam, where when I'm having a bad day, I can come home and I can de-stress with her and she might not understand all of the things that I'm talking about, but it, I think it makes it a little easier that way, you know? Oh, for sure. What does she do? Right now she is retired. Oh, she's in her sabbatical as well. It's a, yeah, it's been a very long sabbatical, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can uh, relate. she actually, she does a lot of stuff for the podcast. She does a lot of of side support for me, um, which is really awesome. I, I can't complain. We we uh, had the opportunity for her to quit her job several years ago. We have the financial means for it, and we've continued to have the financial means for it, and it's been nice because we're not competing for schedules. Um, if we want to pick up and leave, we can just leave whenever. It's It's very convenient. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So you said that you recognized burnout. Did you do any type of treatment or was there anything that you did while you were working in the ER to kind of help with your burnout a little bit? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. For me, like, I've always been very active and love to exercise in sports. And so, you know, exercising for me is number one. Like, if I didn't have that, I would definitely be a crazy person. <laughs> but um <laughs> You know, part of the reason I went to acupuncture schools because I, you know, I really wanted to obviously help other people, but work on myself as well, and and just doing some of those modalities as well uh, has helped me tremendously. Um, and so I think that definitely do those two things combined, the acupuncture and um, the exercise, definitely got me got me through that. So forgive me because I don't know a whole lot about acupuncture. Is that something that you can that you just do on yourself or do you go and have somebody else do that for you so so being in school you know I a lot of times I would do acupuncture on myself but um you know New Mexico has very strict licensure here and so uh, you cannot do acupuncture unless you have unless you're an MD or you have a doctor of oriental medicine and so you ha you have to go to someone else to receive acupuncture unless you're in school of course um, then you can do it on yourself but there's a lot of very simple simple things that i could do without having to go to someone else you know oh. like when you're in school for anything you you basically become your own guinea pig and try yeah. out a lot of this stuff on yourself and the the herbal portion as well so what's your number one de-stressor tool I, I don't know. I'd still say exercise for me. I just, I'm just built that way. Just like having a physical outlet for sure is so important. Do you work out at a gym or do you work out at home? Yeah, I actually, um, I go to this gym called Revolutionary Fitness. I've gone there for 
shoot a long time at least seven years um he had a, a location over um on paseo but he actually um has a a gym now out of his house in corrales so we we still go a couple times a week and we're able to bring theo and he has kids as well so it's just a, a really cool environment so being able to continue doing that like having having a son now is also been super helpful because like you know being a mom is very stressful as well so you have to have a lot of those same tools in order to in order to get through it yeah no for sure that's that uh it's good to have the tools that you need to continue on through your days without kind of losing your shit sometimes (laughs) yes so out of all the years do you um, do you have any particular cases or patients that just almost broke you or made you upset or really sad? Yeah, um, I do want to just kind of piggyback on what um, one of your other, when you were interviewing Maya and on one of your episodes and what she was saying about how the, a lot of times the most difficult cases are those of people who have had chronic conditions and who are are living, you know, with these debilitating illnesses or conditions and they tend to be repeat repeat patients to the ER and nothing's really helping them. They're not getting better. There are a lot of times they're in situations where they don't even have autonomy. And so it's other people making decisions for them. And those are just really the hardest, hardest to see. And it reminds me of, of one patient that I had in the ER and, um, she came in and, and it was a stroke alert, but uh, she was outside of our, our TPA window. And so there wasn't really much we could offer her at all, but um, she had some hemiplegia going on. She could definitely still comprehend what was going on, but some massive aphasia as well. But I, for some reason, I just, I, I just vibed with her. I liked her a lot. I could tell she was a very loving compassionate person I just I liked her I was drawn to her we all have those patients right that we just resonate with and I just I I felt so bad for her um because within I think it had only been maybe a little over maybe a little under 24 hours she you know had this stroke and now is probably going to be left with these debilitating in this debilitating conditions and the worst part is she didn't have an emergency contact. There was no one we could call. She didn't have any family in the area. And so here she was, like, re- realizing that her life would probably never be the same. And there was no one we could even contact uh, for support. And and you, and you just never know with the stroke patients. I mean, I've heard of people making amazing recoveries, and uh, they're able to you know, use their arms and legs again, but then you see the ones where they're 20 years later and they're still suffering the effects of that one day. And, you know, I think sometimes trauma can happen within a matter of seconds, but the amount of time it takes to heal from things can be years, you know, months, even like even a lifetime sometimes. And so just like definitely overthinking about her and, thinking about how life would be for her and that that one just really got to me the the lack of support I think more than anything yeah no that's definitely that is rough when we see those patients that come in and you know it's probably going to be a life-changing event 
And I really like that you said, you know, trauma can happen in a matter of seconds, but the healing time takes years because that can be that can be told or used for physical trauma or mental trauma, right? I mean, look at you're talking about it now, and that was something that affected you a few years ago, and it's still something you can tell that you still think about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think anyone who's worked in healthcare, you know, has those patients and we're all we're all affected by it. I mean, we're all connected and um yeah, I think we carry we definitely carry that with us. Yeah, it's it's sad, especially the ones that don't have the family that are close by or if you don't have any way to contact anybody that they know or maybe they just don't have anybody, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of people who don't have any support, and it's so sad. It is sad. It is, and it's crazy to think about. And it's easy in the ER or in, you know, in EMS where you're only, you know, more so for EMS than for people in the ER. But, you know, you get to send, I get to turn over care after 30 minutes with this patient where you might be seeing this patient for, depending on how sick they are, and if you have, you know, any beds upstairs you might be seeing this patient for maybe one or a couple hours and then you're also sending that patient off and you know we're just expected to to forget it and move on right keep doing your job there's somebody else to fill that bed once that person's gone you have another patient to go pick up and somewhere else you know yep and yeah i mean it's it's definitely definitely a a heavy burden sometimes I know in the ER that you were working at, it's not much of a trauma facility, but did you ever have any trauma patients that rolled in? Yes. Uh, I mean, we always had those homie drop-offs. Homie drop-offs, um, yep. <laughs> gotta, gotta love those. Um, so, you know, we had, for the six years I was working there, you know, there's there was only a handful of GSWs, some stab wounds, you know, some, I fell off a ladder and then waited 12 hours to come in you know people yeah. working with their power tools like all all that stuff like you know like you said we were in a trauma hospital but i think if you worked in the er long enough like you're going to experience that at some point yes one of the ones that i transported from there to the trauma center was oh no um... oh no <laughs> <laughs> i think this was before your time uh, um, okay. from being there uh, but it was a young lady who got upset at her boyfriend and I guess I don't know if he was threatening to leave or what but she decided to go out and stab his tires <laughs> and oh, man. when she unclipped the knife I don't think she locked it so when she stabbed the tire the knife actually buckled and it cut off the majority of her pinky finger and then part of her ring finger yikes so i don't know why at the time like i mean i guess maybe they could have reattached the fingers so we transported it but she'd been there for like several hours so likely she was just getting transported because she was labeled as a trauma patient you know what i mean but i don't think there was anything they could do for her but that that was quite the interesting she was a she was definitely a character did you uh did you ever have any hot messes that you you transported out of my uh ball and chain hospital elsewhere? <laughs> oh man, I'm sure we did, but I can't think of any right now. <laughs> maybe, 
Oh, the little ER. You know, most of the transfers I remember came out of the big one. Um, but we transported a lot of like STEMIs in, before right. they had a, a, a really big neuro, you know, we were transporting a lot of the neuro patients as well. So do you have any that were like, I don't know, sometimes you just feel bad for those ones, but do you have any like embarrassing stories or times where you got kind of knocked on your ass and put in your place? Yeah, I mean, I think starting like as an ER nurse in general, like you just are constantly, at least for me, it's like, I think the first year I worked in ER, I was like nervous every single day before I'd go to my job just because it's like, you're working with some like some interesting people and it's it can be cutthroat and it's just it's just a whole different environment until you work there it's like you don't really you know you don't really understand but i remember there's this doctor that um at the at the ball and chain hospital um and this is when i first started and he was so so smart and like everyone like respected him and you know of course like i can be a people pleaser and i like really wanted him to like me and I just feel like every time I would work with him I would do something dumb or I th the thing I remember the most working with him is you know there at that hospital we did have a lot of autonomy as far as like putting in orders and stuff and I think that I maybe overstepped my uh, kind of my scope maybe and and put in a blood test I shouldn't have with him and he was very particular about that and like called me out in front of everyone and you know there wasn't anything like big huge that ended up hurting anyone but it was just like the kind of like those little like you know those little digs that can really get to you when you first start somewhere and then I think that the longer longer you're in that environment the more you kind of just start letting things go to a certain extent or maybe it's just becoming more hardened I'm not sure but I definitely <laughs> look back at that time and like the amount you evolve as a as a nurse for sure but also as a person as well I feel like a lot of the experiences I had in the hospital definitely like no doubt transferred over to my own personal life you know sure yeah no I mean you're especially as a new nurse you're developing a lot of your skills right when you're going into the ER or whatever setting that you're going into initially but you're so you're growing personally and then you're also developing your your advocacy skills right because it sounds like when you when you talk about the lab that you say that you kind of stepped over and the doctor kind of called you out it sounds like maybe that should have been a discussion instead of him kind of proving his point you felt the need to put in a lab that you felt wasn't being addressed and maybe as a new nurse you didn't understand maybe what that lab was needed for or necessary for, or maybe he was covering it, but you were advocating for that patient. Right. And you shouldn't have gotten called out for that. Yeah, I would agree. I think there sometimes there's a little bit too much of that. I mean, there's obviously there's some really amazing doctors that we work with and then there's only a handful of that just don't handle those situations very well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh one in particular are you thinking I, back yeah 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 there's one Go in ahead, particular there this. that was he didn't deal with things very well at all um I mean <laughs> when you have when you have a a uh, hip or a knee dislocation and 
you're waiting for a bed and he doesn't want to get x-rays before he tries to put it back into place you know there's there's issues with that oh so he's man. <laughs> yeah he came out and tried to do a reduction oh. with our patient on the stretcher in the middle of the hallway instead of waiting because he thought well he oh, can just no. get her out in 15 minutes yeah and it ended up being much more complicated than that that actually reminds me though of uh of a this ER doctor that I used to work with and he was a hilarious guy like loved working with him but he he was all over the place and like didn't know what he was doing sometimes and it was again it was a, re a shoulder reduction and we were probably five ten minutes out from doing it and i i look over his shoulder and he's looking at youtube videos on how to reduce a shoulder i mean i can't i can't fault somebody for looking up youtube videos i'm just saying like most of the time before i'm going on calls you know i'm looking up i'm looking at my guidelines and then if i think that i'm going to be doing a procedure that i maybe haven't done in a while i might look up techniques so I can't fault the guy. I mean, if he's doing it in the patient's room, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the patient's room. <laughs> no, no doubt. I, I, I 100% agree. Like, I think it's best to, to look at your resources. I think it was just like the quality of the YouTube video where it was like, I don't even, it was like a, it was on a dummy and it looked like it was from like the 1990s. Like it just, <laughs> it was something else. <laughs> no that's pretty good i i <laughs> working at one of the bigger er's here uh you definitely see a lot of the doctors looking up youtube videos at the desk usually i don't think i don't think anything's wrong with that i really the the yeah. practice of having everything memorized is just so far yes. it should be gone you know what i mean we shouldn't be yes i do like that yeah, we shouldn't be expecting our providers to have everything memorized because when you think you have something memorized and you accidentally mess up a dosage, you know, like pediatrics, especially if you're messing up dosages right. because you know you have it memorized and that's the right thing that can cause issues further down the road. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. So I'm big, I'm big on checking your protocols and your guidelines and stuff before you go in on something, if you have the opportunity, you know, sometimes it might just show up, but hopefully we have the resources like a pharmacist or, you know, you're relying pretty heavily on your team members at that point to help you. Do you have a, um, what's your like go-to resource that you use? So we have our own clinical guidelines um, that we utilize for the most part. And then I'm not opposed to phoning a friend. <laughs> I know nice. a couple of really smart people that I work with. And if I have critical care questions, I know that I can usually call them at any time um, without hesitation. And I, I do enjoy that I have that that set of resources available to me. Yeah, I love, I mean, it's been awesome, like just working in this field because you really do meet a lot of very brilliant people and then you know then you stay connected like we have and just have this amazing smart community around you it's it's really invaluable yes i agree there's so many mistakes being made in medicine and it's easy to you know put your head down because of it but if we make it a more welcoming environment for our new nurses for our old nurses for our new emts our old emts for everybody else I think we'd have a lot less 
mistakes, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think doing what you're doing now is, is a great way of, of integrating all those people and, you know, bringing up a lot of, a lot of these messages that need to get out there, including what you're just saying now. Yeah, I agree. hundred <laughs> percent, you know, trying to break the ice for people. I want, I want the, I want the conversations to be had and I think they need to be had, whether it's about PTSD, whether it's about how great our jobs are or how shitty our jobs can be sometimes. And then people making mistakes too, hopefully that can be avoided by having additional resources, you know? And I do try to put up resources for people for PTSD um, on my website. I do try to, to keep up. So if anybody has resources that they want to share, you know, they're more than welcome to join the Facebook group page or contact me via email through my website and share those resources. And if I, if I feel that they're good and valid resources, then I'll share them as well. Love that. I have started a little library of, you know, critical care and EMS books myself that I have that I will utilize too if I have questions, um, especially for being new to a teaching position. You know, I'm, I want to learn and I want to make sure that I'm not making mistakes when I'm teaching. And right now I'm building, uh, this episode will probably come out after, but I'm building an EMT basic refresher and that has thrown me on my butt, you know, like EMT basic shouldn't be too hard, but I am going through and I'm refreshing on a lot of stuff that's been really good for me personally. And, and I think it's super helpful to go back and read and just, I think the biggest issue is complacency, uh, within our career fields. Yeah. could see that for sure. People just get too set where they're at and think they're, you know, hot shit and, that's how mistakes are getting made too, is you stop learning. What's been the best part of teaching for you? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I've been having just a lot of fun doing it. It's been very eye-opening because you, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching of the AHA cards. So I'm seeing a lot of people who have been in their fields for a very long time that have no clue. (laughs) Just have no clue. Yeah, it's crazy. But then you get other people that are super smart and you're like, why are you in this position? Like you should be very, (laughs) you should be higher up than you are, but it's really cool to see. And I have a lot of fun interacting with all of the really cool characters that I am teaching. The characters. Yeah. (laughs) Every class I'm learning something new and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. I always... I always envisioned myself in, you know, teaching in some capacity. I, I've always been drawn to that as well. I didn't think that I would. I, I enjoyed teaching in the field. Um, you know, I love my job. I love being a paramedic and I, I love now being a critical care paramedic and I get really excited and I want to share that. And I want other people to feel that way with me too. So I think sometimes I can come off as a little bit overbearing, but I, took small steps by doing the AHA cards first and I progressed into NAEMT as well. And then now I'm pushing for that EMT basic refresher. And by next year, I am hoping to be teaching both paramedic and EMT refreshers. And I'm hoping, you know, five-year plan that I'll be CAPC accredited and I can be teaching a lot more. That's awesome. Do you see yourself like fully segueing into that or 
do you always want to be hands-on in some capacity? Um, I think, I think I'll probably always want to be hands-on at least for a while longer. I've just been doing it for so long, you know, going on 20 years in the yeah. field as well. So I think that I'll be staying hands-on for a while longer, as long as I can, at least in a part-time or a PRN position. Um, but I would like to progress into a teaching more full-time position as well. Cool. We'll see eventually, maybe. I'm enjoying what I'm doing now, so I'll keep doing what I'm doing until I can't. But I would like to keep teaching on the side as well, just in case. We've talked about it before, too, on the on the show. You know, when paramedics get injured, there's not really a whole lot of movement. Right. So you see a lot of uh, paramedics who get injured who just end up getting out of the field because they can't work in the field anymore. And that's... Wow. Yeah, that's so true. reality. Yeah. I mean, in the ER, like, if you break your leg, you can at least use something to will yourself around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can you can uh you can be on phone call duty which is a bear in itself but at least you yeah. can do something yeah you can be on phone call duty or sitter duty or sitter duty <laughs> yeah you can be in the you know in the monitor room or whatever which is yeah. nice yeah there's just not a lot of movement for paramedics but that's okay we'll get there eventually i'd like to see paramedics in more more positions um like in the er or you know in in the or or wherever and i think it is moving in that direction with the the staffing shortages and everything else right yeah i mean i've always just thought paramedics are so undervalued and their role is so invaluable and i you know at, at my old hospital we did not use paramedics to their full sco scope of practice and i think that really hurt us um and i think that we could have functioned a lot better if if they were able to do that and there were more positions for paramedics and i i just have never understood why like the hospital never saw the full value in that and never really pushed for that you know well, and I know they were trying um, while I was there, they were trying to get the autonomy for paramedics to be higher than it was. Um, yes. I feel like they're always trying. Like they've been trying for the last 10 years and it's like, it never goes anywhere, you know? I know. And I don't know. I don't know what the holdup is because if you look at the other, the trauma hospital, paramedics have a lot of autonomy there. Yeah. You know? As they and should. They agreed. Agreed. They should. I don't see any difference um, in the scope in the ER between nurses and paramedics, but that's my personal opinion. Um, yeah, that's very valid. Yeah, and maybe eventually one day. I think a lot more hospitals could, could look out um, at that trauma hospital and see how they're utilizing their paramedics and could probably gain uh, a lot more useful hands if they were hiring and using paramedics themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Is that one of the reasons why you, you know, decided to leave the place we used to work? No, the ultimate decision, I actually enjoyed working there. Um, one, because I didn't have as much responsibility, right? So <laughs> working in the tech capacity was kind of nice because yeah. I didn't ever have any paperwork that I had to do or anything else. I literally, I drew labs and uh, stocked rooms and stuff. It was really easy, but I did end up leaving there because I took the flight position and I needed, I needed more time to do and focus on flight. It wasn't an easy decision, but it was made either way. 
Oh, it definitely sounds like the, the better, better decision for sure. Yeah, no, the, the ER that we worked for, I actually really enjoyed the people there. It was, it was a lot more laid back. You know, people there were more like family than friends, which was nice. And that's hard to find even in, you know, most of the other ERs that I've seen. Some, some ERs just function a lot better together than others. Yeah, I think honestly, that's been the hardest part of not being in nursing right now is I, I miss that family community. I mean, at that place, we would do barbecues every Sunday and we would have scooter club during break and we would do burpees on the lawn. Like when we oh, had yes. five minutes, like it was just that kind of environment. And I think, I think that's another way that I was able to cope with all of it as well is just having that family atmosphere that I, that, you know, we worked with. I, I love that. And I, I miss that a lot. I agree. And I will tell you that is, like I said, that is hard to be found in a lot of ERs. It's, that was probably one of the closer knit ones that I had ever seen. Yeah. What did they do on Fridays? Was it cheese Fridays? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like cheese is maybe like Thursdays or some random day, but then there's always something there was a, there was an enchilada day a cheese day a barbecue day and then i don't know we'd have soup like green chili soup on mondays it was we always had some sort of theme going on it was great yeah. and of course the ems lounge with the pb and j sandwiches clutch yep yep you could never you could never get away from the pb and j's and if you were lucky <laughs> they were in the freezer <laughs> <laughs> the best way to eat them was straight out of the freezer yeah i i agree that could be a hot topic but i'm with you on that one yeah <laughs> yeah it could be disagreed upon but it is what it is uh, yeah so anna we're getting ready to close up but uh, i wanted to give you any opportunity if you wanted to shout anybody or anything else out i know we talked a little bit about your business but if there's anything else that you wanted to say i wanted to give you the opportunity yeah, I mean, I just want to thank you first and foremost for having me on here. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and I just have so much respect for you for everything you're doing and getting these important messages out there, especially like you were saying about mental health and PTSD. And, you know, we've all struggled with those at some point. And so I just have a lot of love and respect for you, Sam. And, um, yeah, I mean, other than that, just come to Jamba. We'll treat you like family there, 20% off support support the local business here yeah and it was really really good when i went last week we're probably that's probably going to be my new favorite smoothie place so we'll you'll be seeing me in there a, a lot more often <laughs> good to hear yes no thank you so much Anna. i appreciate you coming out it's been a lot of fun i i can't even tell you guys how how like blessed i am that people want to come on and just chat with me for an hour and a half and hang out and just have a good time <laughs> Yeah, well, you're pretty awesome, so you make it easy. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You're pretty awesome yourself, Anna. I hope you have a good day. Thanks, you too. <laughs> Take care, Anna. It was good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. 
By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 Nonsense merch page and our recently released Noon Gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week. Thank you.